Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode 164, recorded April 19th, 2014. And today we finish off the Con miniseries. You couldn't resist, could you? <laughs> no, because we might not see much more. After oh, were you kidding? You will see Con again, I can almost guarantee you, unless they stop making the movies. Mm. We will see it again. Well, we will see him again. I mean, I this is, they put they put him on freeze at the end, right? They obviously did that so they could bring him back later. I don't know. Some I'm other just... some other wacky Admiral Marcus too, who wants to take advantage of his special abilities. But this time, they'll wake up some of his people because that way the stakes will be raised higher. But we are really getting ahead of ourselves. I would have just rathered the movie end with him going to City Alpha Five. And living with the sandworms. <laughs> Wait a minute. Are you mixing Dune up with that? What? Uh, you know, the worms that go in your ear. Whatever those Oh, those are. guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I forgot what they what they call those. Yeah. Yeah, kind of like huge earwig things. Right. Yeah. Um, That's how it should have ended. That's how it ended in my dad's time. That's how it should have ended in my time. Damn By it. Golly. By golly. Well... So, right. anyways, well, this story immediately proceeds into darkness. So, yeah, all those questions you had when you walked out of that movie as to who the heck Khan was finally get answered. And how the heck did he become a an Anglo-Saxon white guy with blue eyes? It's answered right. here. Finally. Exactly. And and here I thought they were just ignoring it. People won't notice. JJ, <laughs> people will notice. No, people won't notice. Okay. They, they explained it. So just like the first movie, the first reboot movie, um, there's a huge amount of stuff that, that happens prior to the film, which the film viewer knows nothing about. So we had a great uh, IDW series, uh, which, of course, clued us into all that. And likewise, they're doing the same thing with this con series. It's great. So the first yeah. three issues gives us history in this, which is cool, and fills in a lot of Taz things that we didn't know about, and these two issues t- get, are the prequel to the uh, the latest movie. Right. Wonderful. This, Wonderful. this is what we thought the Countdown to Darkness was going to be. Yeah. Uh, the Countdown to Darkness was a complete, you know, it was a good story with the whole, you know, April and all that stuff going right. on, but this is what truly was a countdown up to uh, End of Darkness, which yes, I kind of wish they would have named this Countdown, because I think this one this one is ties in so much to the the show, like that, the original countdown where Nero and Spock and Picard were all together. Yeah. This is this feels like that. Yeah. This was exciting to what you know. I got to read the next issue right now because it I can't wait. Yeah, it, it was really good. Uh, I I agree with you. I think it was better than the uh, than the countdown to darkness. More entertaining, although they really do both tee things up. Um, yeah. But this really tees it up for one of the most important characters, the villain. Sure. So. Right. Which the countdown, the original countdown did with 
with Nero. But then there was also that Nero but, yeah. miniseries, which did the same. So. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm just saying that for the Countdown to Darkness, um, it really just talked about the beginnings of the, uh, the animosity between uh, Klingons and, and Earth. And that right. was really about it. And explain where that shuttle came from, that they mm. take the Kronos. True, true. That was it. That was it. That was really the only the only ground <laughs> groundwork it laid. Uh, yeah, so. Right. All right. So we had so, to wait a little bit longer to get this background, but now, now we really, really have the background before the movie, so it's very good. Yep. So we should say that in addition to Con 4 and 5 in this episode... We're also going to be covering ongoing number 29. Right. So that way we can still have three, and then next week we'll do 29, I mean, sorry, 30, 30. 31, and 32. Right. So Of ongoing, right. Just just wanted to throw that out there in case someone's reading along and they want to pause the podcast to go read these three books. There you go. I mean, we could have cheated you. We could have just went for two episodes, but no, we wouldn't do that to the legions of listeners on this podcast. No. Hey. You know, all that advertising we don't do is really paying off. <laughs> Indeed. Okay. Nah. All right. Go ahead. Okay. So this is Star Trek Con number four. There is no title, so I give, I christen it Deceits and Historic Firsts. Published date, January 2014. Creative team, writer, Mike Johnson. Story consultant, Roberto Orki. Pencils, David Messina. Inks, Georgia Sposito Pencils and inks for flashbacks by Luca Lamberti Colors, Claudia Scarlet Gothica Letterer, Neil Uitaki Editor, Sarah Gatos The primary cover shows Admiral Marcus's head and shoulders looking past the reader on the left An exploding moon is on the right Watching over it all are the eyes of Khan. The cover is by Paul Shipper. Cover B by David Messina and Claudia Scarlet Gothica shows John Harrison standing over defeated Klingons. An empty Klingon helmet slash face mask is on the uh, is on the ground in the foreground. Awake, confused, a voice calling a name. John. A dark, intense-looking man awakens in a medical bed in Section 31's secret installation positioned near Jupiter's moon Io. He does not remember his own name. He does not remember his past. A man named Alex Marcus tells him his name is John Harrison and that they are friends. Marcus goes on to tell Harrison he is the top operative and engineer for a Starfleet spy organization called Section 31. Six months ago, he was severely injured while on a mission at Kronos. The first miracle was getting him out of there alive, and the second was the medical miracle that restored his health, at least to its current state. Marcus says John will complete his recovery and again take his place as their best operative. While he is recovering, they want him to stay on the base and start getting his input on new weapons and propulsion systems. John seems to be accepting all this as Marcus leaves the room. Admiral Marcus is joined by a lovely female Starfleet lieutenant named Sulu, who gets 
the job of babysitting John along with as many members of security as is needed. Marcus says Khan will eventually regain his memory, and when that happens, they will be ready. In the meantime, they need to milk his unique intellect for all it's worth. Sulu also gets the job of watching over 72 members of Khan's crew who are still in suspended animation devices currently located in London. The days go on and John begins to remember snippets of a life, but it does not seem to be his life, John Harrison's life. In his waking hours, he uses the installation's computers to learn more about his life. Little does he know the life he reads about is pure fiction. Later, he is in a turbo lift with Marcus, but is at a total loss what to call this small moving room. He remembers technical things like how to program and engineering concepts, but does not know the name of a ubiquitous device like this moving room? Odd. Marcus listens and diverts John's attention away from these and other suspicions. He asks him to forego the past and embrace the future. Five months go by and John is incredibly productive. He comes up with breakthroughs in warp drive and long-range stealth torpedoes, as well as other improvements. He is speaking to Admiral Marcus in his office about his memories. They're like memories from another person's life. The discussion topic shifts to John's desire to finish what he started at the Klingon homeworld. This time, John comes up with a truly ambitious plan to go beyond disrupting strategic mining activities on the Klingon moon Praxis with individual demolitions, but to use many strategic charges simultaneously detonated to destroy the moon. Marcus says this is crazy. They'll never be able to get another ship close to Praxis. John's first excursion there has put them on alert. John says he does not plan on using a ship to get to Praxis. He has devised a small portable transporter device. It has insufficient range to get him directly to Praxis, but he can make many short hops that will get him there undetected. Admiral Marcus is floored. A portable single-person transporter? That is a technological breakthrough that changes everything. With that, the Federation can be the true dominant power in the Quadrant. Marcus okays the plan. Later, on Praxis, John Harrison stands on the surface of a huge mining facility. An overlay of Admiral Marcus's conversation with Lieutenant Sulu can be seen. Sulu points out that Harrison will likely have to push himself to the physical limits of his abilities on this mission, and in doing so, he will realize that he is not a normal human being. If he did not realize it already, he will know his identity is not what Marcus told him. Marcus says he is counting on that. If Harrison can do what Marcus suspects he can, they should start praying for the Klingons. Looking out over the bleak, polluted moonscape, Harrison remembers the eugenics wars. A Klingon guard comes upon Harrison, just sitting there on the roof. The pitiless Klingon soldier merely says, Now to Now you die. Harrison responds by taking out the Klingon and his three buddies quite handily. Harrison transports off the soon-to-be-destroyed moon and to the surface of Kronos, where he monitors the countdown to Armageddon using his iPad Mini. 
As Harrison witnesses the explosion and red cracks in the fracturing moon surface, he contemplates his violent victory. Now and in the past, in the past when he conquered a continent and took a name, he remembers his name. Admiral Marcus takes an incoming communication from John Harrison. John reports the mission as a complete success. Praxis is floating in a small number of pieces around Kronos. Marcus gushes and says John has done mankind a great service this day. Marcus says it's time for John to come back home. John says he's on his way. To be continued. What name did he remember? Gone! <laughs> At least he didn't say it. So they did have the little flashback to the uh, turban-headed, blood blood-spattered man who uh, had conquered uh, India when he took right. his name. So that was a, a nice little flashback to, uh, what was the second issue? Well, one of those. One of those, right. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, this was a very good issue. Answered so many questions that you had when you watched the show and you thought you were just being a geeky nit- nitpicker. Yes. Yeah. Like, oh, why is, why is he white? Or no, well, we don't know that yet. But why is Praxis destroyed? What what happened? You know, finally answered. Well, hold on. In the second movie, they talked about Praxis being destroyed. No, but they show Praxis destroyed, and you're okay. like, it shouldn't be destroyed yet. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That doesn't okay, happen until gotcha. Star Trek Six. Yeah, I've seen it. Yes, great. Yeah, uh, and how they describe, how they explained everything, kind of makes sense. So, I mean, if, if and, and I kind of wondered how Marcus was able to take advantage of uh, Khan like that uh, for apparently a, a chunk of time. So how was he able to uh, get Khan to do his bidding? So, I mean, you figured, okay, so how long can he hold his people hostage uh, before Khan would find a way out? Well, this explains it. Wipe the memory made him look like a totally different guy so that hopefully he would his memories would stay along, away longer. Uh, so it all just made a lot of sense. I liked it. No, very good. It was very, very well done, I thought. Yeah. Another thing I like a lot at the very, very end is, if I could zoom in on the very end, I think, I think it's really, really cool because it's like, depending on how you read what happened, I think it's it's two combatants who both know the game is on at this point. So it doesn't seem like Marcus knows that Khan would have remembered everything. But you know Khan did. Um, but I think Marcus knows that Khan knows uh, who he is. And it's like, this is cool. So there's a game going on between these two guys. And... Uh, and the next issue shows what happens. So that's, I think it's very cool. But now I didn't read that Marcus knows. Cause he, well, he makes I, some mistakes next issue if that's the case. Well, that's what well, he does. I don't remember that. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I, I, you know that Khan knows, obviously. Uh, and you know that Khan has a plan on how he's going to deal with things, right? Right. Now, they don't make it obvious that Marcus knows that Khan knows. But that's what's cool about it. Because I think Marcus 100% knows. Right. And he is just as dangerous because of how deceitful and deceiving. And the fact he's got Section 31 resources at his back, um, I think 
I think it's very cool. Right. So Marcus got what he wanted, advanced tech, tech, plus he was able to take out Praxis, which is apparently where the Klingons get a lot of their fuel uh, and and that kind of stuff through mining facilities or activities there. Right. Um I mean, he's just smiling like a cat bird, uh, like a bird, a cat that just ate the canary. So, uh, I think he knows. But well, but I look forward to the next issue because I don't, I don't remember him making a mistake. But okay, yeah, well, let's talk did. about it in a second. I mean, well, it's let's not wait a big till we mistake, get, to, let's wait till we get to the next issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Okay. So I did like how they depicted, you know, Khan watching the moon blow up. And then, you know, so it shows the moon, shows him, shows a blurry version of uh, young Khan. Then the moon continues to blow up. I thought that was a, a neat couple of pages where it was, like, slowly coming into focus. And then suddenly he remembers his name. Yep. And ping the, the vision of himself as uh, he took that new name uh, comes clearly into focus for him. Right. Yes. You know, it, it ate up four pages of the book, but it was kind of cool how they, you know, kind of depicted that coming mm-hmm. into slow realization. Mm-hmm. It's good. I agree. Uh, interesting seeing Sulu's sister. I loved it. Very cool. Yeah, so I don't know publishing order if this came out before that big reveal in the Star Trek ongoing where we found out that his sister's part of Section 31, but I kind of like reading it in the order that we did. Yeah. Where, you know, because that was a big surprise for me. Oh, yeah. She turned out to be bad. Yeah. Whereas if we would have read this probably when it came out, which would have been before, we would have already known that. Yeah. If it did come out before, I I probably need Uh, to look at the coverage. And I surely hope it doesn't, because that really would have ruined it for most readers then, uh, of that big reveal in the... uh, ongoing episode or issue right so this came out january of 2014 and so i think the full reveal of that was in november of 2013 so okay so we read them in the right order good so you would have already known that she was she was bad because right uh issue 28 and 29 had already come out or 27 and 28 good so that was the right order good Good. I thought I when I was reading it, I was like, "Man, I'm glad we read them in the wrong order." But I guess, <laughs> I guess it didn't really matter. <laughs> no. Yeah, it was that was a it was a welcome guest star. I thought. Right, and I thought it odd though they really didn't show any good close-ups of her face. So in that first page or so that they had her in four or five panels, whatever, um, she didn't really look that Asian. Right. And she always had her eyes closed, when, and it was like a profile, and her eyes were closed. So it was always like, "Is that really her?" You know? Yeah. Yeah. So it was very. I mean, she she looks like she could have been uh, an Anglo-Saxon individual, but whatever. The way they drew her. Right. Artistic license. Exactly. So um, I thought it was interesting how when Khan was convalescing in his bed and looking things up on uh, on the computer, that the computer looked kind of like a, a modern-day laptop with a big old Doc Ock arm holding it in place for him. But um, just being one that's kind of into hardware, I was fascinated with how non-advanced looking uh, that computer was. 
And which which one was oh, okay, yeah, I see it now. Yeah, so that's at the bottom of like what, page four? It was pretty early in the book. Right. Page five, page six, something like that. Anyway. Yeah. So in Spacey, doesn't Khan do the same thing there? Doesn't he have like a don't they, didn't they put like a little T V monitor or something on a swivel arm and he's looking at it there in the bio bed in, in Sick Bay? I don't remember the swivel arm. But maybe. I mean, it wasn't like that, but it was more like a little, you know, like a TV tray type swivel arm that would pop out in front of him, I think. Okay. I don't know. I just remember it being really boxy. and. Well, right. In Taz, a lot of the uh, computer monitors look like they were like CRTs, old-fashioned CRTs. Right. Yeah, my, my only complaint in this story is that they didn't somehow try to incorporate that that woman, the the woman that falls in love with him in the uh, Space oh. episode. Uh-huh. I mean, we don't know where she is in this Lieutenant Marla MacGyvers or something like that. I don't remember her name. I think it was Marla MacGyvers. Something like that. But it would have been nice to see her, I thought. Somehow work her into it? Yeah. Yeah. But they didn't but, bother. No, they didn't even bother. No. I mean, it would have been kind of cool if there was more to the actual trial that's going on mm-hmm. and Maybe she be like the assistant to the, you know, the defense attorney or whatever. Somehow get in, get somehow, you know, have a storyline there where she's getting involved with him, and kind of, you know, again falling in love with him even though she shouldn't be. But they just didn't even bother adapting that part of the story. No. Which but, is too bad, but I didn't even think about her. I really oh, really? miss her that much. Well, to me, she's just a, she's a big part of his life because I mean he manipulates her and then ends up. You know, marrying her and all that other stuff. Sure. So it would have just yeah, been but nice. but there's a lot of things, right? Yeah. It, yeah. But they make lots of things a little different. So I mean, the fact he went back in the deep freeze instead of being dropped off at some nearby <laughs> planet <laughs> that he right. could a planet to conquer. Yeah, there you go. Right. Well, that's because that's like the worst thing Kirk could have done. In the original series, I mean, you don't. Just and he did it. Take a mass murderer and just drop him off and let him go. They're going to get off somehow. Yeah, they're they've at least in this reboot. We never knew that in the original Taz story, but in this one, I mean, they're the guys that came up with uh, uh, the Botany Bay spaceship. So, right. you know, obviously these uh, Superman, and of course, look at all the breakthroughs they're doing with warp technology and super long-range missiles and things. Uh, yeah. Given the time, I think they could be quite able to uh, produce some kind of space-faring vehicle. Right. Just don't ask them to play three-dimensional chess because they don't think three-dimensionally. <laughs> Bada-boom. <laughs> Bada-boom. Yeah. I-, I never did think that was very... Well. Yeah, no. It, it was. That's That was a silly argument. Yeah, it was a silly weakness for Khan to have. Right, considering how how smart he was and everything else. Right, right. So uh, anyway, so what do you think of the construction shot of the Vengeance? Oh, I, that was the next thing I was going to bring up. Okay. I think it's great. So there are multiple shots in the story because a lot of this takes place on on IO Station, and multiple shots of the Vengeance, which I thought was very cool. Uh, in one part, one of the nacelles are not on is not on yet. Right. Um, cool. But it looks like the whole the whole bay is pressurized because it looks like there's just people milling about, walking on the ground, mm-hmm. 
which is, you know, hundreds of feet below the lowest part of the ship itself. Okay. It just seemed a little impractical that you would have that huge a hangar pressurized and what what are the people on the ground really doing to help construct the massive ship up above them? And it's not right. like they're well, probably building nothing. anything down there. Yeah. They're just it's kind of it's kind of like um, building office buildings next to where you're building, uh, you know, an aircraft carrier or something. So, I, I I didn't know that they had to have everything integrated like that, but they did, and it gave us an excuse to see the vengeance. So, yeah, I'm fine with it. Whatever. I don't know. I always thought that when we saw that space station on mm-hmm. in the movie, I thought it was you know. More like a dry dock, but completely enclosed, where it wasn't pressurized, and so you would. Oh, see, you like, thought that? I thought that. I thought it like the. I thought that the dry dock part would actually be more like what we saw in you know, uh, the original series movies. Movies, you know, yeah, and it wasn't. The, the it wasn't little guy like that floating all. around waving at the Enterprise. Right, because that was I, all out in open space, yeah, but not this. But even if it wasn't out in open space, it could have. They could have had a space station shell around it to keep it from prying eyes because they're all mm-hmm. secreted. Yeah. Uh, and it still be the same same thing inside. Because that's a lot of air to have in a, in a... I mean, the Vengeance was so much bigger than the Enterprise. Right. And this thing is so... <coughs> this, this hangar bay is so much bigger than the Vengeance itself. Yes. And it's a little impractical. Well, they've got 23rd century oxygen producers. I don't know. And can you imagine having to, from one one end of the bay, walk to the other side of the bay? Mm-hmm. That's a long walk, man. Well, they probably have little little carts that move you around. Uh, you don't see any carts. I mean, they all could be oh, on segways. Oh, oh, come on. They could be on segways. I'll give you that. You, you only have I'll like two that. or three panels where you even see the thing. You can see the people, though, and they're not, they're not riding mm-hmm. around on... Well, they're out of frame. I don't know. <laughs> All the trolleys are off 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 screen. Yeah. Okay. All right. That was a, that was just a nitpick of mine. Yes. So I like Khan's personal transporter. It reminds me a lot of Captain Jack Harkness's vortex manipulator. Well. Except of course it didn't go into your wrist, but. Right. I mean the idea of having a a, a device that you could have on your person that will transport you around to places is pretty cool. I don't like it. They did it in Nemesis, and I didn't like it there. And at least this this one's a little bit bigger, but I don't like it here either. Yeah. Well, okay, so the whole thing is... is if you think too much, the whole thing doesn't make any sense. And we've <laughs> talked about this kind of stuff before. Sure, So, sure. you know, you're transporting not only the target person, but also the device that's doing the transporting. Really? Yeah, it doesn't make sense. But it's still cool. It's cool. Once you get past that. It's a cool idea, but I don't, I don't like it. Yeah. To me, it's it's too big of a crutch, just like the trans warp thing. I mean, yeah. and then I guess Harrison finds a way to combine the two of them. Although when he did the trans warp beaming in into darkness, he doesn't take the trans warp beam device along with him. It it ends up getting crashed along with the the little shuttle he had. Right, and and definitely the ID, yeah. But even so, though it was so portable, the fact. I mean that wasn't a big spaceship or, you know, like in, in the first Star Trek no, it movie. Was like, he, he was in a, he was in a uh, what was it, a little base, whatever it was, on the moon of 
Vulcan or whatever. So, I mean, it, it, it just... The, the thought that you would have a transporter fit in a little briefcase just seems ridiculous. Or a duffel bag or whatever. Yeah, I, I agree, but... And then to have one but even they this did it. small is even more ridiculous. Yeah, but at least that was short range in the comic book. But as you pointed out, what he used that got him all the way to, Cl- to Klingon, or uh, Kronos, um, I mean, it seemed like it got him there in one shot. Because right away, there you go, there's Khan on, on Kronos. And it's like, uh, yeah. Right, and Spock I, was able to, you know, or no, Scotty was able Scotty. to look at the log and say, oh, it just beamed him to Kronos. Yeah. And they knew exactly where, so that they knew that it was unpopulated. I mean, right. that was the, the little linchpin they needed for the plot to, to get them to Kronos, but it just seemed a little too pat. Yeah, well, no one said this stuff was perfect. I didn't say it wasn't perfect. I just said that part. <laughs> a little murky. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, my last comment is we got to see Khan take out a whole battalion of uh, Klingon warriors. That was Battalion? Cool. Well, a whole... It was like five guys, right? I don't know. Is there more than that? Well, the they only thing I saw... Screen. Like, like they could have had little carts or something. Yeah, but so, so there's the one guard, and you could see three guys behind that guy. So, yeah, there could have been a battalion, but who knows? Uh, touche. <laughs> Frappe, liquefy. Yes. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, it's so. okay. There's only three. But he's still pretty bad. Oh, he takes them out fast. Oh, he's total badass. He got of course. That cloak that, 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 that hero coat. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, I thought I thought the I thought it was cool how uh, Harrison Khan whatever had up the ante and say, "Hey, take out one mining thing. Let's blow up the whole moon." I thought that was cool, and it underscored um, the super ambitions side of Khan's nature. So, right. you know, super abilities breeds superior uh, ambitions. And obviously, uh, <laughs> uh, Khan brought it up a whole new level when he proposed that. And the idea that they tied in the destruction of Praxis to Khan, I thought was like, at first blush, it was like, that is so cool that Khan was behind that. Um, but then it was also like, uh, yeah, 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 but, I mean, didn't Praxis not, yeah. I thought Praxis blew up a lot later in the original crew, uh, timeline. Right. So, I mean, that was like Star Trek Six, exactly. So, I'm, I'm a little not crazy about them moving it up in time, forward in time a bit, but it's like, well, whatever, that's fine. I just... On the one hand, I was so I just thought that is so cool that Khan did that, and on the other hand, it's like uh, thinking more of it. Right. You know, the timing no, I, isn't quite I, I right. I liked it a lot because it bothered me in Into Darkness that it was already destroyed. Yeah. And it was supposed to be, and it's so so early. But then here they explain, well, Vulcan was destroyed, so Section Thirty One expanded their search. They, they somehow got Khan. We don't know yet because we haven't read that issue. And then because he's now in that time, which he wasn't in the Prime Universe, he right. ended up accelerating the destruction of Praxis. I, I thought it all fit in pretty well. 
Right, except for the fact that Khan didn't blow up the original Praxis in, huh. in he, 6. And, he, so, and, if he, and if he didn't do this, it would have still exploded you know, later. 30, 40 years in the future. Right. Supposedly due to just excessive mining. Or, in actuality, maybe it wasn't, didn't have to do with excessive mining. No, it would have had to do with excessive mining. Right. Or something else. I mean, definitely Section 31 was not responsible. No. 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 And then here, he just sped it up. Yeah. It would have been nice if there was a throwaway line that said that, you know, this is probably going to happen anyways, but yeah. it was, to me that wasn't needed. In my right. mind, I already I heard him say it. <laughs> right. Anyways. Uh, so another thing, it just bugs me how they're going to apparently just sweep under the rug the whole idea of personal transport transporter tech. No, just like they did with transport beaming. So, I mean, there's so many, like, technologies. We've, we've said this before. So many technologies that have the potential for totally changing the Star Trek universe. And here's another one. Right. That, I mean, are they going to actually let this live on? I mean, I mean, obviously they let transport beaming live on a bit because that's how Khan got all the way to Klingon in one hop. Right. But are So they kind of let that live on. Are they going to let this technology live on to? Or what? I don't know. I mean, maybe in the comic books, but well, it won't. I don't think it'll ever make it to the movies. Well, I mean, but it's already been in the movies, so they borrow from each the other. next generation movies anyway, so it's it's possible we'll see it again. Yeah. Yep. They just, they keep on stacking up all these technologies uh, that are disruptive to what we know and love. I just... I just right. well. I, I don't want to just sweep them under the cover, uh, under the carpet, but I don't want them to change the uh, the complexion of the uh, franchise too much. Oh well. Right. Next episode, when we finally get around to doing ongoing, uh, was it uh, thirty-one and thirty-two? Uh, you'll be saying the same thing. <laughs> there's some tech going on there. Yeah. Some fairly large tech that. Uh, is has been reserved for next generation for the most part. So, yeah. So, okay. Remember this conversation next week. I I will remember. Yes, you're a little further in the reading than I am. Okay. So, kind of funny how Khan's using an iPad Mini in on his covert mission. So, I mean, this thing that is the size and and general shape uh, of a modern day tablet. So it's kind of funny that they use that for uh, this futuristic uh, commando mission. Right, but the tablets are the same size as they have always been in Star Trek with no, they're not. personal pads. No, nope. well, not at all. Not at smaller. all. A little oh, smaller? Even Next Gen had smaller ones. No. Yes. Next, they're... Take a look at the Next Gen pads. They are about the size of maybe a, you know, uh, maybe an Android uh, phone, you know, some uh, a, a biggish phone, but not as big as a tablet. Mm. Take a look, and take a look how small and itty bitty the screen is. It's really funny. Right. Anyway, so uh, no, these uh, you know, I remember Riker when he was doing some, they were doing some acting thing or something that Beverly Crusher was organizing and stuff. Riker had this little pad that he was reading his lines from. It was right, funny. But, but I remember some Deep Space Nine where they had larger ones. 
But I can't tell you for sure exactly how long it's been. Well, I remember some Taws ones where they had some huge ones. Can you sign this, Captain? You know, it was huge. (laughs) Yeah. But I I think it was paper-based, though. I'm not quite sure. But it did have, like, two little lights on the silver box towards the top. I don't know. Right, yeah. You know, there was little lights in there that that were already, like, you know, they weren't like a screen. It was like when these these dedicated lights came on, it was an old. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, those they, are, those they, are pretty they were like little jujube lights, or not jujube, uh, dots, you know, like candy dots in different colors. And... Right. Anyway, so uh, I just thought it interesting how what they're using is the exact look and dimensions uh, of uh, uh, like an 8-inch tablet of today. So, um, I mean, even if you look at the screen on it, because I got an iPad mini and I'm looking at it going, hey, that's... You know, there's no button in the bottom front, but everything else, it's an iPad Mini, anyway, <laughs> or an Android, whatever. Right. Yeah, you know, seven all. inch or eight inch one. They, they all look all the same. Them. They all look the same. Do, 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 do. All right. My last comment is for this issue. Um, one, this issue has no reference to an actual courtroom scene, so if you didn't read the first three, you won't really know who he's talking to throughout this issue mm-hmm. you know there's no flash for you know there's no present day part of the story mm-hmm. and and how how can if he if he, this is all testimony he's given a lot of hearsay because he talks about stuff that happens you know between marcus and sulu he, he's not at it how does how is how is this being evidence where he's telling a story about what's happening to other people that he had no reference to so that's more of a nitpick, but it, it is odd that there is a lot of this story that's supposed to be all told from his point of view that he's not in. Yeah, I agree. But the other thing is, did, were there really... Okay, th- so there weren't any... I think you said that at the beginning of your comment. There's no courtroom scenes. No. So this really is like a straight story with absolutely no back and forth. So it almost seems like it's happening outside of the courtroom but you definitely get back to the courtroom in the next episode or next issue right i thought there was a few word balloons at some point that that kind of was was con narrating but i really? might be wrong I, I might be wrong i i don't remember that happening but it could have yeah you're right i don't it might not yeah it almost seems like a standalone story uh from the omniscient point of view as opposed to well, something he was relating other, back. But in the next issue, he's clearly still narrating what's going on. But the other issues did the same thing. There was lots of scenes where the guy well, yeah, who but, created the academy that created them was having a meeting with the boardroom somewhere else that he had nothing to do with. So, I mean, it, it's a nitpick because they've been doing it for the last three issues. It just yeah. really drove home in here because there was no courtroom scenes at all that really made me think, wait a minute. How does he know what Marcus mm-hmm. and Zulu are talking about? Right. Yep. All right. Anything else? Uh, let's see. Uh, my last comment is uh, I think a lot of the shots from IO Station showing – I assume that's Jupiter in the background as opposed to IO. Right. Uh, but maybe it's IO. I don't know. But um, I thought the artwork was very nice. Really enjoyed the artwork. Yeah, I thought the space stuff was really good. Yeah. Um, not only that, but also when Praxis is destroyed. Mm-hmm. Really nice. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. Okay, so 
Yeah. So near the beginning of the of the issue, there's a great shot that shows actually Io in front of Jupiter. Very right. cool. Very yeah. very cool. Do a good job of showing just how massive that planet is and how far they must be away from it. Right. You know, it, it's good. But even how far away they are, it's still as massive. It's amazing. Yep. Cool. That's it. That's all I got. All right. Should we cool. go on to number five and find out what happened? The thrill pack conclusion? Yeah, let's do so. How will the mono mono thing get resolved? All right. So this is issue five. It came out February of 2014. Uh, no title, and I didn't come up with a witty title, so did you have one, kid? Yes. Go for it. Getting what you want. <laughs> all right. All right, so uh, all the uh, staff is the same. Uh, the only difference is that this issue has uh, color assist, and that is by uh, Valentina Kumo. Aside from that, uh, all same from the fourth issue. Uh, there's two covers. One is just the generic photo cover. It just shows uh, Khan at command chair of the Vengeance. Uh, and then the art cover shows uh, just a picture of John Harrison slash Khan. Uh, below him, we see the cryo tubes of all the supermen. And then above and behind Harrison, we see uh, kind of the silhouette or the bottom part of the Vengeance. Uh, it's all flare lenses and shadowy and stuff. It, lo- it looks really good. All right, so the story starts off uh, back at the trial. So Khan's been telling this story this whole time. Uh, he's finished uh, up to this point. Uh, Kirk still there, and he implies that Khan's story of Marcus waking up only Khan to be his one-man army is a little hard to believe. Khan takes this as an incentive to go ahead and continue with his story. So we flash back. It's some time after Khan's one-man mission to destroy Praxis. Uh, Khan has been biding his time, pretending to be John Harrison. Uh, but he obviously he has full knowledge of his true origins. He spends his time covertly discovering where his people are located. Khan comes up with a plan. He shows Marcus his designs for some long-range missiles. Uh, Marcus seems to take the bait and gives Khan the authority to create these missiles. And Khan takes that opportunity to sneak his people into the missiles and get them away from Section 31. So once he has the missiles created and they're ready to be shipped off the station... Khan then takes an opportunity to go ahead and confront Marcus one last time. He surprises Marcus as Marcus is exiting the shower. Uh, So he's wearing a robe and a towel and everything. Khan surprises him, demands that Marcus tell him the whole truth once and for all. So Marcus then tells him how Section 31 expanded their search radius for trying to find... Uh, any type of technology that would help them against a threat similar to uh, Nero's um, ship there in the uh, first Star Trek movie. They find the Botany Bay, and even though it's ancient technology, it was an oddity. So they went ahead and brought it into the space station, and they found all the frozen Superman. So they thawed out Khan because he was the last one to be frozen. While he was still asleep, 
they modified his features and performed brain surgery on him to remove all his memories. Their hope is that since he'll be seeing a new face with new memories, that he'll have no recollection as to who he was before. Marcus tells Khan that his plan was to do the same thing to the other 72 people that they still have in storage. Khan then grabs the man by the throat, and just then two drone ships arrive outside the window and they lock their phasers onto Khan. Before they can fire, Khan uses his personal transporter to escape. Back in the courtroom, Khan mentions the events that led up to the End of Darkness movie. The manipulating Mickey to get access to Section 31 archives to steal the transport, transporter, etc. The court finds Khan guilty, and they sentence him to go back into deep freeze along with the others. Later, Kirk and Spock discuss the outcome of the trial. They both wonder if what Khan had said was the whole truth, or was it just another manipulation by Khan to get what he wanted from the very beginning, to return to his family. The end. Ah, an ice icing on the cake of Khan's story. Right. So, because there's so little evidence of the eugenic war, how much of it was really true? Yes. Now, Kirk, Kirk's whole big thing at the end, as he's walking along with Spock and stuff, talking about how supposedly Khan has been manipulating the whole time and he got what he wanted. He was with his family. Frozen. Really? So... I mean, the only way I can possibly see that Khan wanted to be frozen again with his family is if he thought at some point in the future he would be unfrozen again and he'd have another shot at unfreezing his people and being together with them and getting away. That's the only way I could see that Khan would have been manipulating the court and the proceedings and what he said uh, to be able to get frozen with everybody. It just... You know, uh, Kirk's thesis is like, oh, I don't know if that's the case. I don't know. Right. But I, I, I mean, I like that. Well, uh, that's I, fine. I like that I, it's I, ambiguous. That, you know, well, it's definitely ambiguous. And that I like ambiguity also. You can't know everything. Right. And I, and I kind of like the idea that, you know, uh, and I think you mentioned this offline, that, you know, if this was Khan's plan, then, then he does have some sort of nefarious thing going on, maybe some sort of, you know, he had something to do with these pods at some point, so he could have right. put in a, a sleeper program to wake them all up at a certain mm-hmm. point in the future, and mm-hmm. now he'll be there when they all wake up, you know, who, who knows. Well, they do have to do Wrath of Khan, don't they? <laughs> I don't know, do they? Because that hasn't happened yet. It hasn't. We Technically, we should still have a good 20 years till that happens. <laughs> well... I don't think it'll take that long. But, mark my words, Khan will be back. As long as they keep on producing the movies. At some point. Right. I don't know. I don't know if they would, because I don't think this movie did as well as they thought it would. Well, I think people thought that they'd seen it before. Because they already thought that it was I'm not sure about all of the... I'm not sure about all the reasons why it didn't do as well domestically as it should have. It did a lot better internationally than the original reboot movie. But um, but yes, definitely they were hoping for even more than what they got. Right. Domestic-wise. 
And they already borrowed so much from Wrath of Khan for that movie. You know, the whole... Like what? You have been and always shall be, my friend. I'm going to die. Oh, that. Oh, yeah. I completely agree there. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I, oh, my God. They borrowed it? They ripped it off. <laughs> right. Which and is the just, biggest And just swapped the characters. Mind. I agree. I agree. But... What else is there to do? Look. They're going to... Khan is too good a character not to trot out again. Right. And it's like the Master. It's like... You know, you name the franchise, Dr. Miguelito Loveless, you name it, there's recurring baddies, and we love them. Agreed, and, and Khan is that character. Exactly. More so for the Star Trek universe than anything else. Right. Yeah. So He's had three appearances. That's more than any other villain named character. Oh. I mean, maybe named... Core's been on more than that, but... Yeah, we talk about the Klingons, yeah. yeah they've been back... A few times. Right, but Core is like the one that, that showed up more than once. But Yeah. You know, they yeah. never did a Revenge of Core TV movie. <laughs> no, but it doesn't matter. I mean, I mean, the point is, recurring bad guys, you know, that's that's a grand tradition, uh, which agree. works. Yeah, so. Right. Right, so all in all, Taz had Khan, Next Generation had Q. Right. Voyager, yes. I guess, had the Borg yes. Queen. <laughs> the Borg Queen, yeah. And Deep Space Nine had the Founders. Well, but more so than him, um, the Cardassian. Uh, what's his oh, name? Goldicott. Goldicott. Oh, Goldicott. Oh, yeah, and he was such a good character. He was a great. He was a great villain. Yeah, because you kind of like Khan was in, in Into Darkness. Mm-hmm. You never knew how how bad he is or if he really is doing the right thing for the right reason or is he doing mm-hmm. the right thing because it just serves his purpose purposes right, right now yeah, which no. which made him a little more realistic than yeah. some kind of a cardboard character that was uh, you know always just doing the bad thing right yeah yeah and in fact when he did go full bad there towards the very end that's when I thought I he lost it as far as being an interesting character for me yeah when he got taken over by the Oh yeah, Paul Wraiths or whatever. Right. And I was just like, oh, now he's just mustache twirling villain. Yeah. Well, he got taken but, over by yeah. Ultimate Evil. So sure, yeah. sure. But up until then, I just loved him, and I yeah. guess that's why I liked Khan in Into Darkness because he reminded me a lot of that. Right. But at the end, when he took over the Vengeance, I mean, he was full on bad. Oh, uh, he was full on bad then too. Yeah. yeah. Good point. Um. So. I, I. This is just a, a side comment. I kind of like the Section Thirty One uniforms. Oh, I love them. We get to see them a lot in these issue, in this issue, and uh, and I, I like them. They're pretty cool. Right. So they they. Well, go ahead and describe them, since since you're well, on the picture. I'm sure. I mean, they're 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 uh, like a dark gray on the outside and blue, uh, like like there's a blue middle part. And the collars on the side and the back come up pretty high, but um, but the front of them is 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 not like that. It's kind of like, almost like shirt shirt level. Right. At first, they kind of reminded me of. I mean, they're pure Star Trek. No two ways about that. But at first, they kind of reminded me of the Forbidden Planet uniforms. And then I went back and and just looked that up, and seeing uh, Leslie Nielsen, not as Inspector Drebin. Uh, in the in the uniform he had in that great great classic uh, 1950s movie, 
and really it doesn't look that much like it. So my rec- my recollection was wrong, but I do like those uniforms. I, I think they look pretty cool. Marcus was, of course, wearing it in the movie, and we get to see all kinds of people wearing them here, including Khan at times. Right. They really remind me of the uniforms that the uh, next generation type time frame um, characters wear in the Star Trek online game. Uh, I don't know if you've ever oh. played it. Well, I, yeah, I loaded it. it. I loaded it one time and got into it a little bit, but yeah, I, I like those uniforms. I've seen those in ads. Right. So right. there's ads for the uh, for that online game, and I've seen the uniform, and that does look like a very cool uniform. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing that these Section Thirty One, and maybe it's because it's Section Thirty One, it's supposed to be mysterious. That there's no Starfleet logo or anything no on insignia. the chest. Right. right. Yep. Yeah, that's interesting. So, it doesn't have any pips or anything, right? Right. Huh. That's a good point. I didn't notice that. Definitely no badge I noticed, but no pips of any kind of rank at all. Mm. Right. Cool. So, did you think it was very funny? I I thought it was a nice little nod that the ship that finds the Botany Bay is a... Yes. ...rebooted version of the Reliant... Exactly. <laughs> it looks like, yeah, not quite the Reliant, but extremely, extremely close. Yeah, it's like so. what the Reliant would look like if they made a J.J. Abrams type. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's it's similar yet different. Exactly. So I mean, you can clearly know that that's what the, that's the aesthetic they're going for. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was cool. Right. I thought it, I thought it was really funny. I loved it. Yeah. So let's let's pick up where we left off in the previous one where. I asserted, although I don't know for sure, that Marcus knew that Khan knew. Right. So I, I, I still maintain that he knew at the end of the previous issue. Um, and, and in this one, he knew the whole time, too. Um, now, you might say, oh, but he let him go ahead and do the... He, he, developed, he further developed the uh, long-range missiles, which is right. definitely something Marcus wanted. Oh, but he let him go there and take his people. And it's like... Well, that might be, but in the end, Marcus or Marcus grabbed all of his people too. He he, he grabbed those missiles because he knew what was inside of them. So I thought it was a pretty cool cat and mouse game going on between the two of them. Yeah, and I didn't see it, but now that you mention it, I, I can see what you're saying. I mean, because obviously he knew he knew what was in the missiles in, in the movie, and right. He ne- and you know Khan never tells him here what's going on with the missiles yet. Obviously, he knows. Right, and he grabs them. So right, yeah. All right, uh, I will concede that, that that is one way to look at it and a much more entertaining way to look at it than uh, the yeah. straight reading the exact words that are on the page like I did. Well, um, so it, that's these two issues are just really nice writing, I think. Agreed. Yeah, I like the first three issues of this book, this series, but I really like these last two issues. Yeah, very nice. Um. Yeah, I, I think that's the end of my comments. Go ahead, Donovan. What do you got to say? What do you, shoot, hit me. My my only thing is, and, and it's not has nothing to do with the story itself, is mm-hmm. that uh, Cogley. I wish they oh. would have done a little more with him. Yeah, because he didn't get to say much at all ever. Yeah, just the opening statements. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much. And the rest I'm of the time, he just concede, concede, stood there. Yeah, I want to concede to Kirk. And, and, <laughs> and Spock, yeah. Yeah. As my co-co-host uh, 
counsels or whatever they are, prosecuting whatever. Right. Uh, that's my last comment too. I didn't really have a lot. I mean, even though this this had a lot of good information in it, it's pretty straightforward. Pretty straightforward. Yeah. Cool. So, shall we do the next one? And a uh, bit of fond adieu to our frozen popsicle con, and move back into ongoing. Uh, yeah. I mean, he, he will. We will get a, a cameo of Khan in the next issue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Or should we say Conette? Uh, well, don't spoil it. <laughs> Actually, I do have one more uh, one more comment. On the uh-huh. third to last page of the book, Okay. when Kirk and Spock are you know, walking, walking away around. talking, yeah. what is that little robot thing um, kind of floating? Ah! Right. I think it's just some kind of little maintenance drone guy. Maybe it, it he looks, empties the garbage cans or something. I don't know. but It looks like portable, like, a drum set or something. Yeah. Has those little <laughs> drum pads on it. Yeah, it looks like it's got two. Is he looks like a floating trap set? Right. <laughs> I guess he's a he's a garbage collector of some sort, but I I don't know what he is. But he's got know. these two little insect kind of arms out front. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I bet he's a trash collector. Yeah. I bet right. he actually collects. I mean, off like off the ground or something. Right. 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 Okay, that's what you meant. Okay. Yeah. That's what I meant. Sorry. Oh no! I thought you meant like like going around and emptying <laughs> bags or something, you know, garbage no, cans. No, I just meant you know picking up the cigarette butts. Exactly, you know, because the twenty right. fourth century is so dirty. <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. Yeah, I don't know what that was, but I did notice him. Another little floating droid. All right. Well, you ready to jump over to? Uh... Same universe, but a different storyline? Well, or maybe a slightly different universe. Hmm. Still. Okay. So ongoing number 29, Parallel Lives Part 1 is the title. January 2014 is the published date. Writer is Mike Johnson. He's a very busy man. Story consultant, Roberto Orki. Art by Yasmin Lang. Colors, Zach Atkinson. Letterer, Gilberto Lazcano. Editor, Sarah Gatos. The primary cover is by Kat Skaggs and is split in two diagonal halves. In the upper right hand is the male Kirk and Spock, we all know and love from the J.J. Abrams reboot movies. In the lower left, we see the female and male versions of Kirk and Spock. Text in the lower right reads, Parallel Lives... Part 1. The secondary subscription cover, or so it's called, is a photo of Sulu at the helm looking intense and earnest. The issue opens on planet Cassine 5, where Kirk, Spock, and Yeoman Rand are wrapping up a survey of the previously unexplored world. They find two dominant intelligent species there. Unfortunately, one of the species is a lot larger and nastier than the other and is taking advantage of that fact. The three are disguised in very effective uh, camo that makes them look like the larger purple aliens that are enslaving the much smaller blue race, blue-skinned race. 
The clearly pre-industrialized purple creatures are transporting a much larger number of small blue-skinned slaves in two primitive-looking prison carts to an undisclosed location. Spock reminds Kirk it's time to be back to the ship, but Kirk wants to see if his sabotage of the two cart locks worked. Spock tells Kirk that is not abiding by the spirit of the Prime Directive. Kirk says one small group of slaves escaping one set of slavers unfortunately will not alter the situation on this planet. Suddenly, they are distracted by the fact that the image projector is starting to fail for Rand and Kirk's disguises. Their legs have gone back to their normal appearance. Kirk calls up to Scotty to whine about the battery life needing some work on his latest invention. Scotty gives it right back to the captain because he told Kirk his image inducers were not ready for field tests yet. When they look back, they see the cart doors are open and the small blue slaves that include women, men, and children who make a break for it. Most of them get away from their larger but slower enslavers. Kirk's happy about the jailbreak, but now their disguises are rapidly disappearing. As they get ready to ask for a beam out, they see some of the slaves are coming their way. Somehow they've been spotted. They get behind a rock outcrop in hopes of getting out of there before they're, being, before they're seen, but one small blue youngling turns the corner in time to see an attractive strawberry blonde in a gold tunic and her two companions disappear before her very eyes. The attractive woman waves at the wee child, who waves back. All three are gone. On the Enterprise transporter pad, a Vulcan woman in a blue uniform, a blonde human woman in a gold uniform, and a blonde human man in a red uniform materialize. It's Lieutenant Commander Spock, Captain Jane Tiberia Kirk, and Yeoman Jason Rand in a strange, gender-reversing, alternate reality, uh, Kirk's a pretty hot gal. Chief Engineer Marjorie Scott approaches the pad, angrily telling the captain the image inducers were meant to revolutionize covert investigation of worlds, not for playing tricks on aliens. Kirk tells Scotty to relax, and says the inducers work like a charm. Spock and Kirk make their way to the bridge, where the reader meets the female versions of Sulu and Chekhov. The male version of Ohura, whose feminine name is Namdi Ohuro, reports an incoming priority message from Starfleet Command. It's Admiral Thomas, an older male, who orders Kirk to the Campor system, where an anomaly has been detected. The anomaly is similar to the one the Kelvin encountered decades ago. At first, Kirk objects, due to them being on their five-year exploratory mission, but the Admiral insists and questions whether Kirk's hesitation has anything to do with his personal ties to what happened to the Kelvin. Kirk angrily states the conversation will continue from his ready room. In Kirk's spacious office, she has a terse conversation with the Admiral. In the end, she agrees to do as she is told, and sets course for the Campor system. She has a moment looking at a small hologram of her parents. She asks what her mother would have done. Captain for eight minutes, eh? 
she'd give him hell. Elsewhere in a hallway, Spock and Uhuru share a conversation that confirms there is some hanky-panking going on between these two in this reality also. In sickbay, we get to see Dr. Leah Bones McCoy, who is snarling as usual and taking blood from Kirk's arm. It's all part of the ongoing checks that Khan's wonder blood did not have any lasting effects on Kirk. The reader is treated to a one-panel shot of a female version of Khan with both guns blazing. Kirk asks if Khan's blood does have any lasting effects on him. Could she pass it on to her children? Bones says she does not know, but it's not worth worrying about. Kirk leaves as Nurse Chapel enters. He seems quite pleased to see the captain. McCoy asks Chapel how the examination sheets change colors to white from the standard Starfleet blue. Later, Kirk, Spock, Scotty, Ms. Kinzer, and Dr. Carl Marcus are in a conference room looking at the anomaly they were sent to investigate. Spock calls calls it a quantum storm, perhaps like the one the Narada passed through decades earlier. Dr. Marcus calls it a temporal entanglement. At the point in space, all possible realities exist. They say through it a ship like the Narada could pass through from another reality or another time. Spock and Scotty report strange readings in the ship as they approach the anomaly. After hearing about them, Kirk thinks that could explain McCoy's blue sheets turning white. The ship rocks, and a blinding light comes in through an observation window. Chekhov reports they are being pulled into the anomaly. They try to use full impulse to break away, but finally have to cool off the engines and head for the center of the anomaly, where they hope space will be less turbulent. As they get closer, they find themselves transitioning in a way they have never before experienced. It takes a full two-page spread with face shots of all the main characters as the ship and crew transition to... where? Chekhov reports they are clear of the anomaly. Captain orders all all stop. Damage reports come in, but they are all relatively minor. Wait! Another ship is entering the area. It's approaching them. It's a Constitution-class starship. Kirk conjectures that Starfleet must have sent a backup. She hails the approaching ship. Captain Jane Kirk of the USS Enterprise. A surprised voice from the other ship says, Wait, did did you say? The scene shifts to the other ship's bridge, where Captain James T. Kirk, flanked by Mr. Spock and Dr. Leonard McCoy, asks, Jane Kirk? To be continued. So, Hmm. a bit of a flippy thing. Better than I thought I would. <laughs> when I read about this being the storyline, oh, I just rolled my eyes and Winced. expected the worst. But yeah, I really liked it. I, I, I like it. I, I thought it was pretty good. Um, although I was getting a little sick of the parade of, hey, here's the female version of Chekhov. Hey, here's the female version of Sulu. Hey. Here's the female version of uh, Dr. McCoy, who looks just like Carl Urban in a wig. 
she did not. She did. Look at that first. Look at that first time we see her. Think about that, and then think of Judge Dredd. That's it, Judge Dredd in a in a wig. No, it was. Not. <laughs> it does. It looks like that. Now, I, I will say on the to flip. So the artwork is, is the artwork's reasonable. It's, it's it's good, but many of the other ones, like the uh, the Chekhov version, the female Chekhov and the female Sulu, they're kind of like me, me, me. You know, no big deal. And then here's McCoy, who, in my opinion, especially in that first panel, and I'm not I'm not joking. It's Carl Urban in a wig. I, I can just th- see that that's just the kind of thing they wanted to avoid. I don't uh, see it. In, in, unless, of course, they wanted that as a joke. Because he's all scowly and looking... The face is just like Carl Urban uh, with the wig on. And uh, I thought that was funny. I, I, I was entertained by it. But um, I, I, you don't see it. So, okay. So, it's a matter of opinion. It. Oh, come on. Look at that. How can you... I don't... Okay. Fine. I'm looking at it. I don't see Carl Urban in there. Oh, oh my God. That, now, the thing is, all the other female versions or male versions they really don't look much like the real actors the reboot actors not at all right uh i mean scotty eh, a little bit you know but not much um and kirk the female version of kirk i don't think that looks like uh chris pine uh and and the female version of spock really does not look one bit like um zachary quinto uh but and then oh my god <laughs> the bald guy playing a hero doesn't look anything like the uh the lovely lady that plays Ahura in the new movies but Carl Urban that's Carl Urban All right I'm not going to argue with you but I don't see it <laughs> Okay I'll shut up now But uh but anyways I uh I liked this issue and I thought that the the reveal I mean it you know, if you just read the co- the cover, Parallel Lives, mm-hmm. you may think that maybe this is supposed to be, uh, you know, just another, you know, because it shows a, a female, what we know is female Kirk and female right. Spock. Right. If you didn't know the plot, you could just think that this is just another captain and another uh, science officer. You could. You know, it doesn't have to be Kirk and Spock, female. Mm. True, and, but and obviously they don't want you to know that they're female versions of Kirk and Spock at the beginning because they make such a big effort of, you know, having them in those holographic suits and mm-hmm. one starts to malfunction and they're just talking and you can't hear the voices so, you know, you just automatically assume and you even did it in your synopsis you called Kirk he yeah and you yeah. called Scotty he, he and, and I, well I corrected myself. Which well, we'll later, get in the final but, edit, but but yeah. during the no, during I slipped. The, I, I know I slipped in a few places. Yeah, which is what you should have done, because if you didn't already know that this these are women versions, because yeah. visually you you don't know that yet. And so, and that's cool when the legs of Rand and Kirk become exposed, because if you're not reading closely enough, it's like, oh look, there's Kirk's legs, you know, black pants and boots, uh, right. and there's Rand's legs, nice legs, and it's like no. Right. Oh, actually. Okay, go ahead. Go on. No, I'm just saying. I liked I liked the big reveal and uh, and um, I, I, my only complaint was uh, I think they might have given away too much at the cover, but mm-hmm. even then they don't say that it's female Kirk and Spock. It's not like the old Marvel stuff, which would be like, is this female Kirk? You know, or something yeah. 
ridiculous right. on the cover. Yeah, another thing that wasn't... Yeah, good points. I was I was expecting that this first one was going to be... We'd be following the adventures of the normal uh, uh, male, mostly male crew. Right. So when it turned out that it was actually the females... Uh, the female Kirk and, and company that were actually the ones at the beginning. I was a little surprised by that. I I didn't realize that. Right. So, so um, that that was a little bit of a surprise, even though I knew what I was getting when I came into this this issue. Right. Another interesting thing, though, that I just it, actually it took me till now to notice it, but um, when the bottom parts of their uh, camo start to uh, come away. Right. It looks like there's a bare female lower leg on the left. So immediately, oh, you think that's Rand. Uh, and then, then it looks like male-looking legs, you know, in, in the boots and stuff. And, oh, you think that's Kirk. But, um, but then it's like, oh, well, it's actually it's, it's turned around and it, those are female legs. But then, when you take a look at what they're actually wearing when they're on the transporter pad, everybody's, on, everybody's got pats, pants and boots on. Yeah, I think that might just be a miscoloring. I think that's supposed to be the, the alien's legs. Because it, it, it's the alien's really? feet. Really? Yeah, it's the alien feet. And then the rest of the body, and in fact, one leg is still alienized. It's just that oh. one calf, or the, the calves are, are colorized flesh tone for some reason. Well. I think it's supposed to, I think that might just be a miscoloration. Miscolorization. Well, yeah, you're, that you're, you're right to the feet. Uniform. Yeah. Maybe. But, uh, yeah, so the feet definitely look like petite versions of the big uh, alien guys. But that clearly looks... More so than just uh, the coloring, I think. Looks like a female leg, but, yeah. Well, we, we don't ever see their legs, what their legs look like except for that one shot. So maybe all these aliens have slender legs. Oh, no, well, we, get, we get to see it get again to see on the bottom page. Yeah, on the, the bottom of that same the page. The bottom of the same page, you see the, the one slaver. But that, he is kind of in the distance, so it's not the, the best angle to see it at. But yeah, yeah, so good anyway. point. It, it definitely ha is miscolorization, if nothing else. If nothing else, and I just didn't notice that until now. Well, how do you like Kirk's ready room? Dang, that's nice. High uh, ceilings, couch. Woof. Is that not what he has on on the Enterprise in our universe? Well, a lot better than uh, than Kirk ever had. I mean, Kirk Kirk didn't have an office in Tos. on the old show. No. In Tos, yeah. So I, that's what I, I mean. This. His office is so big. It's bigger than Picard's ever was. Right. Well, it's a bigger ship. Well, well yeah, apparently. Yeah. But it's like, wow. Uh, his office makes uh, Picard look like a teetotaling ninny. He's got such a small one. Although at least Picard does have the uh, the fish aquarium fish in the wall. Stink. Exactly. True. I don't see that in Kirk's. But So some of the drawings do show an exceedingly high ceilings in the Enterprise and some of the rooms and stuff, which right. I think is all cool. Uh, it just seems like, wow, what a waste. It just doesn't seem very practical in a spaceship. But Oh, you were busting on me about the uh, space station having giant rooms? And here you are. Oh, yeah, but, I mean, a space station is one thing. It doesn't go anywhere. I mean, this is a starship, but whatever. Um, I'm just giving you a hard time. Sure, Donovan. <laughs> 
You keep going, pal. Keep going. So uh, can I can I give my my huge nitpick on this this movie or this book? Hit me. And Hit it, it has to do with that the scene in the uh, ready room. Mm-hmm. So she's talking to Admiral Thomas. So right. I don't know who his analog in the prime or the the normal universe would be. Cause right. But I assume you, it's a female. Well, you would assume so. So, yeah. so you did we're research? assuming that. No, I didn't do any research. But we're assuming that every character in here, if it's male, in our universe, it's female, and vice versa. That is what I assume, based on what I have seen so far, yes. So, keeping that in consideration, some of the dialogue really annoys me, and and Hmm. it makes it seem very sexist. So, the Admiral makes a comment that, you know, are you just being argumentative because of your mom... You know, and then she gets kind of defensive and says, you know, go ahead and say what you really want to th- say. And he's like, well, you're the youngest captain ever. No, that's not what you want to say. I'm the youngest female captain. Yeah. yeah. Why put that in there if if Everything's all roles are reversed? Yeah. And, you know, one, why is it in there at all? Because, you know, we're supposed to say genders are equal. I mean, because they are. So why make why make a distinction like that at all? Even if it was in the Prime Universe... But especially here in a universe where women are the, you know, Dominant. the admirals and stuff. Right. Well, so, yeah, I mean, look, uh, 90% of the crew is female. Right. Yeah. So, and if, if you just assume that all the captains everywhere, that's the same thing, then it's, her comment makes no sense. You, you're, you're taking this on me because I'm the youngest female captain. Well, that doesn't, that really kind of annoyed me. Yeah. Well, that's annoying, and not only that, it's like, isn't she, isn't she like really argumentative? I mean, this is an admiral, right? And he's a captain, and he's like, like she's at, she's at the con and stuff, and she goes, "We'll take this in my ready room." It's like, <laughs> it's like, wow. It's well, like, no, that hmm. that was the right thing to do, but well, no, but, but uh, ma- ma- maybe no, we're not maybe going. I'm reading too much into her face. And what she's uh, and the words that are being said, but it's like, wow, step back. Right. And I'm, I hope I'm not being sexist here, but it, I mean, uh, Jane is uh, pretty, pretty nasty. I, I just don't think it's appropriate. I mean, what what the admiral said was not appropriate either, but I don't think the way she was handling was appropriate either. Right. A little, well, I mean, a little over. A little overboard. I don't know. I, I could see, I could see that that going over. I mean, if someone told the Chris Pine Kirk the same yeah. thing, you know, you don't want to do this because you're scared or you don't want to relive what happened to your father. Yeah. For one, I don't see them ever making that argument. Why would they? Why would that argument even be made? Yeah, it's it's artificial. I mean, her argument as to why she doesn't want to go makes sense, and I could see the Chris Pine Kirk saying the same thing. Yep. Yep. No, we're already on our five-year mission. I'm not going to go back. Yeah. I, I, exploration. Although, quite yeah. frankly, it's an anomaly. Uh, isn't that exploration? I mean, I don't know. Right. That, that sounds like exploration to me. But again, but. It, it doesn't really say how far backwards she has to go or right. he, he would have to go. So yeah. I could see him making the argument she made. I just don't see an argu- an, a, somebody telling Chris Pine Kirk. You don't want to go because it's going to give you bad memories about your mom and dad. Oh, yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Which, yeah. so that to me was off. Why would someone 
say that, especially to the whole crew. So for her to say, let's take this in my ready room, would have been the right thing to do. And that got I know, but not quite the way it looks like she did it. <laughs> right. So it's like, yeah, say, okay, um, you know, for, with firmness, but it look, I mean, look at her face. I mean, she looks like uh-huh. she's saying, you jerk. We're going to take this in my office. I, I'm not arguing with you on that one. You're right. Yeah. But it's just that, that whole conversation seemed very odd. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if this universe is really flipped and she is just as competent as uh, Chris Pine Kirk is, then they shouldn't have been having that conversation to begin with. And yeah. the thing about you're a woman, Captain, we're going to treat you differently, also really rings false to me. Sure. Because most captains are female in this you particular would so. if, if reality. If most captains are female in the Prime Universe, we got to assume most captains are female in this one. Yep. So that 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 really annoyed me, and I and I didn't, you know, I even I had to talk this out through, I had to talk this through with my wife before we got on the call because I didn't want to, you know, sound sexist or whatever, like oh, when, you know, you know, <laughs> so I even vetted it with her first to see if mm-hmm. am I being, you know, overly sensitive? I don't know, but she she kind of saw the same thing, so yeah. And then later, when when Kirk is in McCoy's medical bay. Mm-hmm. And then asks about passing it on to children, her children, right. the the right. con blood. Uh, that also kind of seemed, you know, yeah, it's a, it's actually an interesting thought, but I can't see Chris Pine's Kirk asking McCoy that, or at least making a big deal, big deal out of it. Right, but I mean, whether you're a captain of a starship or not, women are very involved in the reproduction or I mean in reproduction I mean and they got mature instincts instincts that I think uh, tend to be stronger than males so I can see that even though she is a captain and she has this duty and she's out there doing all this stuff she's still a woman and because of that 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 is something that comes to her mind okay that's Uh, my take on it but well I mean and that's that's probably the right but it it's the only thing that she says that really seems out of character from what um, Chris Pine's Kirk would have said in my, in, to me. Right. Yeah. Okay. But, I mean, it did bring up... But a he's a guy, point. and she's a female. And right. So, so there are going to be some differences because of their gender. Right. Well, I read both issues, and that's, that's the only one that really yeah. <laughs> jumped out at me. Aside right. from that, the exact car- carbon copies of the others. Yeah. Which, by the way, I, I predict that, even though I have not read the rest of these issues, I predict that uh, Jim Kirk is going to finally meet the love of his life. The woman he cannot live without. <laughs> Jane Kirk. Uh, wouldn't that be like uh, dating Ookie? your sister? Ookie. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite word I've gained from you. Or oogie. <laughs> was that, was oogie. that mine? Is it oogie? Yeah, I never heard that before. I think I've said that before. Oogie. Okay, yeah, good. Yes, that would... Definitely fall in the category of Oogie. <laughs> okay. It seems odd that, that they would act like being a female captain is unusual. Right. I agree. That I, I agree with that. So I thought the whole thing about um, when they're being drawn drawn to the anomaly and then they try to uh, get away with impulse engines and you know, they start to overheat, and they got to cut power, and blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh, my God, that's been done a thousand times. 
<laughs> but at least in this one, they're not. They say right up front, using warp engines isn't going to work. It's going to the structural strain would make no sense. Even though in the corbomite maneuver, I think they even tried that when they were trying to get away from the uh, Fasarius the first time. So I just, it just struck me as, oh my God, they've done this so many times when they've been drawn into things. So right. Just, so they should have just dropped their warp cores. Ah. <laughs> rode the wave out. Exactly. Explode <laughs> them and uh, and somehow not get consumed by the uh, antimatter shockwave. And uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, so you know we're always talking about the how the the new movies have keep introducing new technology that they shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. That yeah. that should be something Scotty comes up with. An extra warp core that they can just drop out and explode and then ride the wave out so that they could never get sucked up into anything again. Black hole? Drop that extra warp core. Boom. <laughs> well, it does seem like the ultimate um, the ultimate weapon, doesn't it? It's like the amount of destructive force seems to be greater than a photon torpedo. Um, the thing is, I, I, I'll, I do not know why they don't use matter-antimatter in the photon torpedoes. I mean, wouldn't that cause a hell of an explosion? That would pack a wallop. Right. Well, isn't that what David Marcus got in trouble for, for putting in the um, Genesis device? I thought that they, uh, they, they mentioned that, that kind of... Yeah, I think they mentioned that that kind of stuff's illegal. Illegal, okay. Yeah, kind of like the... Because I think there was a Next Generation episode where somebody did it, and they said it was like a, a rip in warp space or something, and then... Uh, I can't remember the episode, but... Okay, somebody I, asked I don't him remember why, that. Why does, you but... know, it was this really destructive weapon, and somebody asked, why don't they use that as a weapon, and then... Jordy said it was outlawed in the treaty of blah 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 blah. You know, oh, okay. Uh, and I forgot what it was. Side effects. They, yeah. And then, like when they went to warp, it this rip in space followed them or something. And he said that's why it was outlawed or something like that. I can't remember the episode, but I think following that's, that's when it was addressed. Rips in space that follow you. That'd be a good reason. Yeah. Not to do it. Right. So. And and maybe I'm mistaking the what it was that they couldn't do, but I think it was antimatter. Yeah. Anyways. Cool. So what did you think of the artwork? Um, especially their uniforms, the female uniforms. Mm. Oh. The well, style. Y- you mean, I, I you really mean like, like what, Chekhov wears? Um, all of them. They all wear slightly different uniforms than what we see normal Kirk wearing. Oh, oh, I, I see what you're saying. Right. Because cause Chekhov even wears something different from everybody else. I mean... Oh, with the sleeves? Uh, sleeveless. Right. So he, she's got a... Oh, is Chekhov actually in a skirt? Hmm. I, I, hmm. Anyway, yeah, uh, I, I like them. You know, they're fine. Right. So if you don't have uh, so, the book in front of you, the, right. the, the, the uniforms, the, the pants look the same, but yep. the shirts... Um, Instead of being blue or gold or whatever, all the way across the the chest and back, right. it's just the front, and then underneath the arms and all the way down is black. Yeah, so it's pretty much the same, but from the armpits down, it's black. Right. So it's almost like a, a V of red or a V of gold or whatever. Right, which to me really makes the costume pop. I like it. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Yeah, I... I 
it I, I think I think it makes it look less like a t shirt. A long sleeve okay. T shirt. Yeah. It reminds me a little of the the next generation original uniforms, the Right. The way oh, the, 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 the pajamas. pajamas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like in the first season. Or first right. two seasons. Yeah, right. Yeah, at least color scheme wise it, it, it reminds me of that. It doesn't look exactly like that, but No. That's what I was thinking. So Scotty also has the short sleeve um, mm-hmm. option. Yep. Like checkoff wears. So is it a skirt though? Do you see her legs? Hmm. No. I bet it's a skirt. I looks bet like a skirt. It looks a like skirt. what Ahura wears in in the movies. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Although interesting that I have yet to actually see uh, bare legs. Hmm. I think Kinzer or Kinzra, whatever, <laughs> is wearing a skirt. <laughs> Lieutenant Kinzera, yeah, Kinzer, yeah, or Kinzera, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. He just looks like the most adorable little thing, or she. She looks like uh, the, the first time you see her around the uh, the table, the conference table with everybody else, looking at the anomaly. She looks like like the homeliest little child <laughs> in the world. Like, oh, uh, so hi! You... I just came from the freak show at the uh, fair. Oh. Oh, oh, oh! I'm weird. sorry. That's what's that's what's coming to mind. Sorry. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah, I like Kinzer or Kinzra. I like them both. Yeah, she has a couple of good scenes in the next issue. Yeah. Not to spoil anything, but the next issue has lots of great cameos. Oh, good. Okay. Yes, I can't wait to talk about them. Okay. Haven't read it yet. So I won't spoil it. But okay. You're gonna love it. Mm. Excellent. Uh, I'm I'm done with my comments. Uh, me too. I still cool. don't see the uh, Carl Urban, but uh, oh, I keep looking. Know, okay, look. Oh my God. How how can you possibly see? look at the last page that actually shows Male McCoy? Just you see that? Uh, well, last I don't page. Know what, what's the last page she's on? Well, it's no, it's the last page. Period. Where oh, it says to be continued. Okay. Last page of the book. And that shows, for the first time, McCoy being oh, drawn regular. by this artist. Okay. Regular yeah. McCoy, yes. All right. Take a look at that face and compare that face to the first time you see McCoy at female McCoy. All right, I'll do it. I'll compare it. And I'm telling you, look at it. The same thing. And when you're saying first panel, you where it actually has her name? No, when you first see her. Well, okay, fine. So it's it's the second one because she's too far away in the first one. Okay. So it's the second panel. I mean, she uh, she almost looks like she's got a five o'clock shadow in that first one. I'll tell you. She's <sighs> <Yes>, not. <laughs> I don't know. I still maintain. Of course, it's personal. Um. Anyway, so whatever. All right. Yeah, I still don't see it. I'm looking. I don't see it, but. But look at it both. I mean, it's the same person. Okay, so whatever. <laughs> same face. Anyway. All right. I okay. don't have anything else, so I guess we should uh, go ahead wrap, and wrap things up. up. Let's wrap up. So, uh, first two issues, excellent. Um, the third issue is not as excellent, but it shows promise. So, we'll see how the other two. Oh, is it one more issue? It's one more issue. It's a two parter. Okay. It's a two parter. And then after that, we get into a, another two parter, which is entitled I Enterprise. Oh, right. So, the Saint and Enterprise. Whatever. Okay. 
Looking forward to them. Yeah, it's going to be good. Okay. All right, so I guess uh, that wraps it up, and uh, we'll talk to everybody next week. Later, everybody. Thanks for joining us on The Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.